Hello and welcome to another episode of The Clever Kids. This is a weekly podcast where three brothers take a look at a, t- a movie and a topic from popular culture that you may or may not care about. My name is Tyler. You got Brian here. And you've got the most important one, Jeff, is also here. Brian, what is the accent that you put on every week when you shout your name? I don't what know. What country the, of origin just, is it from? It just feels right. It's not an accent. It's more like a... Uh, Inflection. You know, like one, of those, one of those callers at like a stadium, you know? Popcorn here. I see. I see. I see. You know what I'm um, Yeah. The vendors. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like a vendor call. But mm. but instead of popcorn, you got Brian. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. This week, we're talking about uh, 1982 classic horror film, The Thing, directed by John Carpenter, written by Bill Lancaster, with a story by John W. Campbell Jr., starring Kurt Russell, Wilford Brimley, and Keith David. Um, I was the one that picked the movie this week. So, quick preamble and uh, plot summary. Um, Basically, a team of researchers in Antarctica uh, are set upon by a shape-shifting alien and have to figure out who the alien is and uh, how to take care of it and prevent it from getting to society. Um, I... This is one of those classic horror movies that every like makes everybody's list when you look at like cl- top 10 classic horror movies and I had never seen it, but I've always been like a big fan of Kurt Russell. Um, at the time that I finally watched this, I was not into horror movies, like refused to watch them, just wasn't interested. And then I watched this movie and it changed everything. I was like, oh shit, maybe I like horror movies. I didn't know that. Um, so this is a big movie for me it's one of my favorites it's one of the three movies i have a poster of in my house um and yeah so knowing that uh which one of you wants to (laughs) tell me how you feel about this movie as we get get into the discussion here who wants to go first yeah I'll, i'll jump in um I think the first thing that came to my mind is I got to apologize because last week I petitioned to stop watching movies this old and, and I actually enjoyed this. So, um, you know, put my foot in my mouth there. But I was struck by the quality for 1982. 1982, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I was struck by the quality. Um, One year. It, like as soon, as soon as it... After the previous sorry. film we watched last week. And it's right? completely <laughs> it's completely different. Like I was like, man, this is... Like I'm sitting there like, man, this thing... The, the movie uh, from last week, uh, Clash of the Titans, they must have sh- tried to shoot it with a uh, like a classic feel. Mm-hmm. And I don't really blame them for that now that you know I have something to compare it to from the, the same time frame. I'm like, okay, I kind of get where with that storyline. You'd want to do something a little bit more classical looking. But sure. for some reason, I made the assumption last week that that's just the best that film could offer at the time. <laughs> And and then all of a sudden this one kicked on and I'm and I had to like look up the year. I was like, wait a minute, these are like a year off. I'm confused. Like <laughs> this is just feels like new age movie compared to the other one, you know. So I, you know, I I just wanted to take back my words from last week that this movie came out in uh, the same year as Return of the Jedi. So the so like you know Job of the Hut, like all of the pro, like the Rancor, everything from like that third Star Wars movie is like on i feel like same special effects level i just definitely think that that movie was that movie being clash of the titans was very 
driven by the special effects work of Ray Harryhausen, whereas the special effects done on this movie were done by Rob Botton, who is known for like his prosthetics. And this movie really like kickstarted his career in horror in Hollywood and like really gave him a boost, I think within good reason. Right. But yeah, the heads and tails are like apples and oranges and compared to like special effects quality and image quality, to be honest. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The colors like it just, it, it was just a different, totally different age of film <laughs> feel anyway. For sure. Jeff, what do you think? Um, I didn't love this film, uh, <laughs> but I didn't hate it. Um, it good. was watchable and it didn't give me nightmares, which are uh, two key aspects for me to be able to finish a film. Um, I enjoyed many aspects of this film i mean i think that the real value where this film shines out is or outshines a lot of others is that um it's not really like there is this monster that is hunting people the real value of this film and and the, the terror aspect is that the characters do not know who the monster is and so there is the psychological thriller aspect Mm-hmm. And so that was fun to be, to, you know, put myself temporarily in those character's shoes and be like, how would I solve this problem? Um, yeah. How, how, how would you though? Right. <laughs> Full spoilers. How would you? <laughs> yeah. Um, just like tie everyone to their beds and light the space on fire <laughs> with myself in it. Um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, I mean, I just, uh, I, I couldn't figure out when they established that the monster was able to, um, uh, take people's memories i didn't know if it was uh i was my first thought was a turing test right can you can you ask can you divide and conquer and ask people specific questions and see if those people know the answers to those questions um yeah i mean that's interesting let's quickly before let's now that we know what everybody that everybody was okay with the movie at, at the least um i'm gonna just go ahead and say full spoilers for 1982's the thing um and any other movie ever made because we're probably going to discuss it. So just if you are afraid of any movie being spoiler, spoiled, be forewarned here, okay? Um, we'll do our best, but no guarantees. Sorry, Jeff, go ahead. What were you saying? Yeah, I um, I like the solution that they came up with. Um, I think that that was a fun... So, I mean, the, the thing I did like about this movie, one of the things that I did appreciate, even though I still don't have an appetite is the prosthetics like you guys were saying um Mm -hmm. there was some truly imaginative visuals on this screen as far as like the monster whenever it was revealed would just constantly be contorting in the most grotesque ways that i was like who the fuck well and it can do anything this (laughs) i like that it can do anything right i like that it we never actually see what the monster looks like because every time we see it it's doing something different right and like i really like the explanation when they're doing the blood test where kurt russell says like seeing the head crawl away from the body in there made me think that each part of this alien is its own separate organism that will react in its own self-interest so even blood fucking terrifying that's so crazy like that's such a strange concept although you would think that in order to draw blood they had to cut the thumb that cutting the thumb would cause the thumb to react right like 
I don't know. That that was one plot hole for me. It's like, well, what is the difference between burning the blood and cutting the flesh? You know. Well, I think cutting the thumb isn't necessarily destroying the thumb, but burning the blood destroys those individual cells. Maybe. Um, I did. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't disagree with you on that, Brian. You look like you had some a thought there. Um. No, I, I I just remember hearing that part and being like, "This is super fucked up," which is what led me to the question for the uh, the topic that I proposed earlier. But yeah, yeah, that's all I got on that. Is just I was like, uh, "This thing's wow. terrifying." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it is one of the in- most interesting, I think, monsters, and like even pairing it up against like other movie monsters, um, even from like the same time period. Like Alien comes out in I think nineteen seventy eight or eighty something like somewhere between 1978 and 1980. Um, and like that Xenomorph, you know what I mean? Like that alien that's in that movie is so weird and phallic and shiny and slimy and like freaky in its own way. But I feel like this one is scarier because it's so unknown. You know what I mean? Like it's, so, it's like even not only is it unknown, it's unknowable because you just never see it like in its full, in its entirety. And like that part where, they're doing the um, the paddles. What are those called? Where they're like defibrillator. To, yeah, the defibrillator, and, and the chest opens up and bites <laughs> his arms and rips his arms off. And then they're like burning it, and then like the like or the no, the weird alien comes out of the chest cavity and is like hanging from the ceiling, and it has like a dog's head and a human head, and then like the actual human head comes off the body and grows spider legs. Isn't and, um, it was kind of reminding me of Venom, although I don't know if he has those kind of capabilities but like the symbiote like can it like change shape like that as well like and just doesn't it isn't it like have the liberty of like form change to that extent mm-hmm. that is interesting well? um not quite but there is actually some like very significant visual similarities between the venom uh venom symbiote and the thing and I, that actually makes me want to know when venom was created um Let's see. Todd McFarlane created him, so it's definitely early '80s, late '80s. First appearance, 1988. Oh no, 1984. So two years after this movie came out, I wouldn't be surprised if they saw this and were inspired in some way because I just it is come up similar. With an idea. <laughs> yeah, it is similar, um, and like especially like when you think of uh, Carnage. Carnage is a lot more like fluid and like moves and like his hands turn into right. like swords and shit. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it was just when I saw the chest turn into a mouth that I was like, I'm getting real strong venom vibes here. I don't know. I just feel like the symbiotes would be capable of something similar to that. That is interesting. But, I hadn't uh, thought of that, but yeah, I definitely think that there's probably some inspiration taken from the thing um, for venom. Um, what was your guys favorite part of the movie? Was there a standout moment for you that like blew you away or like really kind of locked you in on it or? Um, so, so go ahead, Brian. I, I was just going to say my, I talked about this with, um, with the, sh- with Predator on Hulu. The prey? Uh, my, my, with the, the Predator, the Predator, prey. Predator, Prey, there you go. Yeah. Um, on Hulu. I with these kinds of movies when I always get like real hooked and interested on the origin story of whatever the creature is and um in this one they find the you know 
uh, uh, the, the Norwegian outposts with the the spaceship underneath like, the spaceship. Underneath yeah, and, and they're yeah. like, oh, this has been here for hundreds of thousands of years or a hundred thousand years. And I'm like, first off, how did you know that? Second off, you know, I want more. And so I always kind of just like lock in on those those really like brief moments. So um, there's. The reason they would know that is they're they're researchers in well, the Antarctic, know. and so they know how deep the spaceship is. Means that the ice would have had to form right. around it over the course okay. of those many years, right? So. I guess I was trying to remember what they even were there to research. I can't even remember what what their intention was. I don't know. I, I don't because I think they were there to see if Kurt Russell could beat that chess machine. I think that's the whole the whole reason that they were there. <laughs> because they they were like capable of of estimating how long it's been in the ice, but then the dude was doing a biopsy on an alien corpse and could draw takeaways from that and I'm like those are two very different areas of science. You know, what kind of researcher are you again? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And then uh, there was just a couple of things where I was like, man, they're just like, well, one of the guys the who was doing term very generally here. Yeah. The guy who was doing the autopsy was their doctor. Like okay, he was the, the medical yeah. person on the I was research. Just them all being researchers, but I guess they do have a doctor. Um, yeah. Um. I. I. So there is a prequel to this that was made really? in like yeah that was made in the last ten years. Um, and it's okay. The problem is they so they did they shot the film with practical special effects using like the same styles that this one is made with, and then the studio didn't like that and threw like another 10 million dollars at a cgi company to cgi over it and so the effects look really muddy it's like a mixture of like cgi and practical effects and it kind of ruins the movie i still thought it was a good movie i still enjoyed it but like and i definitely think it's underrated um it's actually called the thing as well so it was like a reboot sequel Right, so it just has the exact same name, but it's a sequel, but also a prequel, um, a pre-sequel, if you will. Um, and uh, it was okay. It has like a really good cast: Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Ewan McGregor's wife, I think she is. Um, she's in it, and I think she does a really good job. And it's about the Norwegian company, you know. So like, what's kind of cool is like if you watch this movie and you see when Kurt Russell and um, Wilford Brimley go to the Norwegian place and you see where all the different dead bodies are and like all the different damage, they mm. match up that movie to tell that story exactly. Wow. So it's cool. actually, it is actually kind of cool. So I watched this movie and then I watched that movie immediately afterwards after I saw this one and was like kind of blown away at like how cool it was, like how well they matched it. Cause then I went back and like found the Norwegian like the Kurt Russell going to the Norwegian camp and like watched it again you know and was like wow they really just like nailed every moment of this and kind of tell exactly you know because when you go to that Norwegian camp in this one it's like what the fuck happened here <laughs> like there's just like a fucking like yeah just crazy amount of death um and with no explanation at that time yeah um well I'm really glad that you guys at least somewhat like this movie Jeff I'm, I, I purposely chose this one because it is horror but it's not like objectively like the most terrifying like movie you've ever seen it's more of that psychological aspect of like fuck this is like a really fucked up situation to be in yeah um, i'm i'm glad i watched it um i'd say the, the thing about the film that i like the most i mean i think brian might be able to echo this as well but i also really enjoy um when a protagonist is smart and mm. seeing like when the writers take the time to give the person a clear line of thought yeah. 
when he, when he came up with the individual survival instincts yeah. for the things parts, and then he's like, "Let's heat up this wire and mm-hmm. expose expose it." I was like, "All right, who could have actually like how many people could actually come up with that in that moment, that high mm-hmm. stress environment?" Yeah, well, I, mean, that I do too, enjoy and that, that too. And then, and then he also like, how do you approach a building when everyone inside of it thinks you're a murderous alien, right? Like, what is? What, like, I was like, oh, full shit. roll of dynamite. Fuck it, I'm taking you all out. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes it makes me really enjoy the protagonist because you know I can pretend it's me. I can't pretend that I'm a dumb guy. Um, let's quickly just run through and talk about some of the actors in this movie. Um, first, obviously, uh, well, let's go with save Kurt Russell for last. Actually, Keith David is in this movie. Do you guys recognize him? The um, yeah, he's from Cloud Atlas. Is he in Cloud Atlas? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, cool. He plays I don't remember like five anymore. different characters. I'm sure he does. Everybody does in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's also the president in Rick and Morty. Um, I mean, you know that, but you don't know that he's in Cloud Atlas. That doesn't have, even have his face in it. I haven't seen Cloud Atlas in a long time. He has a very recognizable voice. He's also the ass-to-ass guy in Requiem for a Dream. If you guys have ever seen that movie, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um I really like Keith David a lot. Well, and like I he has like a very note like he's very a, specific voice and presence. He's also in Community, the yeah, final season of Community. Super prominent voice actor. Yeah, super good voice actor. He's in a lot of DC stuff. Um he's just he's really great. Um I think he has like a really funny like delivery sometimes too when he does comedy. You know, he just I just think he's really great. So seeing him in this really young is was is always cool to me. Um Wilford Brimley, the guy who plays Blair, the uh, the older man who like destroys the helicopter and then is like out in the out oh, the shed by himself. Yeah. I love his performance in this movie. He's a character actor who's been in a lot of things. Um, his role in this movie is very funny to me. I really like when they go out to the to the shed to talk to him and he's in there and there's just like a noose that he's hung in the background. And like through the whole scene, there's just this noose there basically signifying that he was going to kill himself but decided not to. I, for some reason, that just makes me laugh. I just think that that's just a funny set dressing to have in a, in a scene. Um, I've got some fun, fun, uh, fun facts for you. Okay, hit me with them. I just looked it up, and it's not like I knew these, so I'll read them with you. Okay, uh, fun fact: the role of uh, Kurt Russell's character. Um, some actors that some alternative uh, alternative actors that were considered for the role include Christopher Walken, Jeff Bridges, and Nick Nolte. I don't know about Sam Christopher Walken, but Nick Nolte, I could see being a good one. Yeah. Oh, man. Christopher Walken. Get out of here, the thing. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see if there's What any we're going to do things. is we're going to burn the blood. <laughs> I thought it was more Andrew Dice Clay than I think. Yeah. We'll light you on fire with a blowtorch. We're going to burn <laughs> the blood. <laughs> there you go. That's actually pretty good. <laughs> <That's> good. <laughs> okay, uh, let's see. Uh, they also considered Ed Harris. Did he have hair at the time? Because I really feel like the selling point of McCready in this movie is that beautiful mullet he has going on. That isn't like, overgrown had, uh, mullet. Isn't that he had uh, his? Uh, isn't Harris, that Kurt Russell's Harris every role? 
Yeah, his hair is amazing. It's absolutely incredible and everything. It's co-star in all films. It's it's amazing. I, the whole time I was watching, it's like, how does he get that much volume? <laughs> it's incredible. He's just out there in the fucking snow with the hair like that. Come on, and that hat that he wears throughout this whole movie is amazing. That <laughs> I've never seen anyone who could pull a crazy ass hat off like that. But Kurt Russell, just like I was like, he should just wear that hat just in his everyday existence. It's awesome. They also um, considered. Uh, Tom Berenger, he's the catcher from uh, yep. Major League. He was big in the '80s, very big in the '80s. Uh, Scott Glenn, he's in um, yeah, The no. Leftovers. That's a no for me, dog. Uh, I don't know. There's a couple other people in here. Who Did I you have other faces. fun facts or just casting decisions? Uh, <laughs> Carl Weathers was considered for Childs. That's uh, casting decision. Yeah, that. I mean, I would have been okay with it, but I think seeing Keith David. I like Keith David probably more yeah. for this role. Uh, you mentioned uh, Kurt Russell's hair, and and I don't know if you said his beard, but it took him about a year to grow that. So, uh, and he was the so last. There's still a chance cast, that I can way. do it. Yeah. That's, I mean, so, so they what, cast him. from what I read, they didn't want a star, and Kurt Russell was already like a bona fide celebrity at this point. Like they wanted it to be, like. You don't know who's going to make it through this. And once you cast Kurt Russell, you're pretty much like, well, he's not going to die because he's Kurt Russell. You know what I mean? Like, he's the biggest character. He's the biggest actor in this film. So obviously you're not going to kill him. And at the time, they wouldn't have. So they wanted to cast someone who was more up and coming. So it was like, that guy could die, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, Ernie Hudson was the front runner for Childs until they met with Keith David. Keith David. Mm. Dude, Ernie um, Hudson would have been. Ernie good, Hudson actually. was one of the the OG Ghostbusters, by the way. Yeah, I actually just watched Ghostbusters two the other day. It's bad. It's not good. <laughs> Ghostbusters one is the only good Ghostbusters movie. Oh, that was um, my pick for the horror movie. It's not horror. <laughs> it's I'll accept it. Two out of three approval. <laughs> no. we, don't, we don't need a super majority. <laughs> I was kidding. Um, I uh, Ernie Hudson would have been good, and it's kind of a bummer to me that Ernie Hudson doesn't have his have a bigger career than he does like it's like he's in the two ghostbusters movies and then like the other two ghostbusters movies in like cameo bits and then he's in uh how i met your mother for one scene i think and then like that's pretty much his whole acting career he hasn't really done a lot else and i actually really like him in the ghostbusters movies he's i think he's really like a talented actor who did not get a good opportunity um i do sort of want to pivot away from the discussion of the film unless you guys had any other thoughts here no, go give it a shot. Be more open-minded than I was to start. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if anyone's listened to this far and hasn't seen the movie, um, I mean, it's <laughs> well, still worth going. It's still worth seeing. I mean, to, Sorry. to spoil it fully, one of the other things that I wanted to talk about this one before we move on was um, the ambiguous ending. Um, for those of you that haven't seen it, the protagonist seemingly beats the monster with his dynamite plot and a character resurfaces, a character who was responsible for standing post at somewhere and abandoned his post. Seemingly Um, the protagonist is then sitting there out in a shed exposed to the entrance, prepared to freeze to death with a bottle of alcohol when the character shows back up and there's kind of this um, ominous tone in the air as they're having their conversation because, uh, the protagonist thinks that this thing goes, where the hell were you? Oh, did you kill the monster? Like back and forth. And they're both freezing to death. They can't move very fast. And so they just kind of resign to their feeds to sit there and freeze to death. But um, a lot of consensus on what I was reading was that uh, 
the character that shows back up suddenly seems to be behaving differently um, than he did throughout the rest of the film. And a lot of people took that as proof that he, he actually was the monster. But um, I don't know. What did you yeah, guys think? I guess of the he ending? was kind of like, he almost is like an antagonist throughout the movie because he's like, fuck you, McCready. Like, yep. why are you in charge? You know what I mean? And this time he, he shows up and he's just like, what's up, man? How you doing? Did you kill it? Oh, good. Cool. Yeah. What's up? I guess it's just you and me, though, right? <laughs> are you the monster or am I? What's up? Can I have a swig of whiskey? Um, I mean, if anything, what we know is that the monster, it's whoever's in the room with the monster last. And we the last person we see in the room with the monster is Kurt Russell. So if anybody, I would think it would be Kurt Russell. Um, but I don't. So is are we supposed to assume that that part where Wilfred Brimley shows up behind that guy? when his helmet isn't working and then like sticks his fingers into the dude's face, which is a great effect, by the way, that part where like his fingers just become the dude's face. Um, is that like how the alien takes over people? Is he like absorbs them? I don't really. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know how the alien that's the, that's the part about this. that's a bit ambiguous. Is it never really, and I'm okay with it, but like, is that, do we have to see the alien absorb a person? Because in that case, it's Keith David. Right, we assume that Wilford Brimley found Keith David before he found Kurt Russell and them in the cave. Right? I don't. Well, I don't know. So they kill they kill the dog, and the dog doesn't get a chance to absorb anybody. Well, it goes up into the ra- rafters. Right. Remember the alien does. But so I guess the next time that you away. see the next part that you see is is the guy who actually gets contained by the dead body. So yeah, I guess we don't really understand whether or not someone is yeah. capable of getting infected by something as small as um like it's not like oh a single drop of blood can turn you evil it, it might have to actually eat you i don't know it's unclear um, anyway so other movies with ambiguous endings i think is where you were going right yeah yeah um do you have a list because I'm, I'm having trouble thinking of any off the top i of do my head. um so I, I think uh ambiguous ending brian kind of brought it up number one is uh inception is is probably the biggest one that that uh I don't think this is ambiguous. I think that he's awake. And I think that if you, if it's ambiguous, like the other option is such a depressing move, like such a weird, horrible movie where like, he's just trapped in this dreamscape for the rest of his life. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't feel like, I don't feel like, go ahead. It's funny you say that. And I I did mention this pre recording because it is an ambiguous ending, but at the same time, I seem to remember being struck by how much I was absolutely confident that he was awake. I didn't really feel like I had any question in my mind of whether he'd made it back or not. And yeah. I, I and so I, I was like, okay, I get the spinning top implies that he might not be back. But like it seems like with the way the film went, as long as I grasp the concept, he's back. You know, it's not like there's an unlimited number of layers and he's just of dreams and he can never get out or something. Like, you know, there's how deep you go and and you know how much you climb out of it and you know it seemed like any other possibility wouldn't make a whole lot of sense in the storyline so i i just never really stopped to question whether he was actually awake or not although you know i I figured it was worth mentioning just because it is supposed to be left open-ended but i think the point is that like it would have been a satisfying ending if the top had collapsed Right? Yeah. Like if you had I sat there. I wish that Nolan had just done it that way. If you had sat there and watched the top is... literally just fall to pieces until it just rested, that would have been a satisfying ending. Yeah. You see him just be like, fuck yeah. Right. <laughs> no, he but, could yeah. still walk away, but then you just go back to the top and the top falls over. And it's and I would Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, 
that's a better honest like so when i watched this movie the first time i remember looking over and seeing that brian was asleep (laughs) (laughs) every time this movie gets brought up that was the second time you watched it (laughs) i'm just kidding um (laughs) i took three tries to get through this movie by the way i just remember um not even having a, a single question or doubt in my mind that he was awake. Like it wasn't even something I thought of. I was just like, "Oh, that's great. He got to see get home and see his kids." I it was like years later someone told me that this there was this discussion and I was like, "What?" Like I I just I disagree. This is not ambiguous. I I just I just think I think even Nolan has come back and like, "Well, when I wrote yeah. the story, he's definitely awake, but however you want to interpret it is fine." But even that I'm like, "No, no, no, no." <laughs> just tell these fucking yeah. nerds that it's it not ambiguous sense. all right well let, let's pivot because i don't think any of us is really questioning that ending what about um leo's other movie shutter island felt like they kind of left that one a little bit open into two where you don't know whether he's i don't think so i don't think that one's as ambiguous i think he's definitely about to go get a lobotomy at the end of that movie yeah. oh that's not that's not in question it's more did he actually come to his senses and like did it work or not did the treatment work and you know i cuz cuz no. what he does is he basically he he's lucid but then he makes some kind of very cryptic vague line and then he goes off to get his lobotomy and you're left to wonder like did he actually like lose the plot again or um you know or is he just like doesn't want to live with himself my understanding is that truth. he's so broken that he's acting like he knew and right, that he so accepted that he it so that he can and then as soon as Mark Ruffalo shows up who he thinks is his partner he's like he all right how this is how we're going to get out of this right. like he does, like, this he is does my it plan. in order he he doesn't in order to voluntarily get lobotomized so he doesn't have to live with the truth anymore you mean from the beginning right? no his plan oh. is to get uh, to escape the whole time he's he's just cuckoo bananas I well i know i think i oh, think see that then this is a perfect one to talk yeah. about because i totally disagree with you i think that he literally at the end makes that comment so that they'll lobotomize him no i think that the issue is that martin scorsese just really didn't nail this movie as well as he you know he makes other movies i think that this movie specifically we remember it fondly as a good movie but it's actually not as good <laughs> as you think it is oh, i think I it's i think it's good no, I think that Leo is really good in it and delivers like one of his career best performances. But I think that the story and the structure of this movie is so muddy that none of it actually ends up making sense by the end. And I don't think that that's ambiguous. I think it's just poorly written. Oh, no, I, I disagree. I think it's good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's I, fine. You can't. If you, if you watch that, but if you watch that last scene again, he's literally asking, you know, is it better to be a, you know, uh, you know, to live in a better fantasy. to live, better to live as a monster or die as a good man. He makes that cryptic line, and then when uh, Ruffalo walks up to him, he, he he as soon as Ruffalo walks back up to him to kind of evaluate his condition, he slips into his old row, uh, his old role of the you know you know uh, detective detective, and then when he gets up, he kind of looks back, and then continues on, and it's like it's implying he's like. I'm not. He'd rather not crazy. live with himself. Okay. Yeah, I'm not actually crazy. Like I'm, I've never I'm read just... it that way. I just always read it as he's bananas. But I also obviously yeah. have a negative makes for a good of that ambiguous movie. ending. So worth sure. Out. I'm on Brian. Did you have another one? I had the same kind of interpretation as far as what the characters' motivations were at the end. That the that this is. I think this does fit as an ambiguous um, ending. Um, yeah, I had I had some more. Um, 
Blade Runner comes to mind if we ignore the sequel. Yeah. The, so the the amb- ambiguity there being is Deckard a um, synth replicant, or replicant, or is he, you know, just a murderer, which is what he is in that movie. Um, I yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I I from Harrison Ford's opinion, uh, he he believed that Deckard was, but if you listen to Ridley Scott, he does not think so. So, I mean, I think that that one is very ambiguous. Um, I prefer to think that he's not personally, but I also don't care. I like that movie a lot, but it doesn't change the movie really in any way if he is or isn't. Right, Brian? Do you have thoughts on that one? Um, no, I haven't seen it. Uh, wait, I have seen it. Uh, oh, I was no, going to say, yeah, you have. Yeah, I have seen it. I, I don't have any thoughts on it. I, I barely remember that movie. The first one is, I really like it, but it's not as, it's not, I don't know. I don't know. It's, I don't know. Movie's like tough to love, I feel like, because it's so slow and long and kind of self-interested. Anyway, we'll talk about that movie someday. Sure. Good. You got um, what, did you, what do you think, Jeff? On that one, um, I, I mean, there seems to be one kind of damning piece whenever I go back to this film around uh, an investigator or a fellow Blade Runner who is tracking the protagonist and leaves him a, an origami note of a unicorn, which is reference to an earlier message about how um, the replicants all have the same dreams, and now one of those dreams is a unicorn, um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, seems to imply that this this Blade Runner knows that the protagonist is a replicant, but for some reason wasn't just standing outside of his door to shoot him. He's letting him go. I don't really know. Um, but overall, that, isn't that interesting, though, that Ridley Scott, the director of the film, straight up says, no, he's not a replicant. I don't know. It's just, it's a, it's a weird, that whole story is so strange. But yeah, I agree. There is a lot of messaging that he definitely is, but there's also, you know, Maybe he's not. So I've got two more, and, and we can decide whether we want to talk about either one or both. American Psycho and Birdman. I think the Birdman one is less ambiguous. I think the idea is, like, this guy definitely committed suicide. Um, but, like, because of the, like the, the weird, non-real world that they live in um it is shown as his like of him flying away or whatever a reaction to him flying away but i think he definitely in the real world committed suicide um but right it is still shot ambiguously so it's open to interpretation american psycho the end of it is did patrick bateman actually commit all these murders or is he living in his own weird fantasy world right well, so at the end of the like, he goes out in this massive killing spree in the last half hour of the film, like just killing mm-hmm. people publicly, open, and he gets and he seemingly gets away, um, and he leaves his voice message for his lawyer, admitting to all of these murders. And the next scene you see him in, the very last scene of the film is him eating rest. He's him eating at a restaurant publicly, no repercussions, and the yeah. the the um, camera slowly pans away to an exit sign. Or it's actually, it's a, this is not an exit sign. And people have theorized what that means. Did he actually get away with those murders? Is, is America so, just the entire point that America is so self-absorbed that this person can get away with murders because people think that he's an upclass citizen because he's rich? Like the whole lit slew of implications. But the question is, did he get away? 
Yeah. Um, I like to think that Patrick Bateman is just like this bored um, Wall Street. I don't even know what he does in finance. I'm, I'm honestly not even 100% sure what his job is. He's an investment banker. Okay. I just um, that up. I have no idea what he I is. I think he is. I think you're right. Um, but he's just like bored and like lives in this weird fantasy world where like, you know, of cocaine and masculinity where he's like, oh, my dream is to just like kill women. But he is like so impudent and just doesn't do any of that. You know what I mean? He just like lives in this fantasy world that he can't separate from reality. And I don't think he actually commits any of the murders. That's my interpretation <laughs> of it. Interesting. I think that he's just like. It is interesting. A broken, broken man who just like can't do anything and is just like so ineffective. And like that's that's sort of the joke of it all. Right. Like, I don't know. That movie is one of my wife's favorite movies. I've watched it so many times, and I that's genuinely my read on it every time. Specifically because after he goes to um, Jared Leto's apartment, the Paul Allen yeah. is that is the character's name. When he goes to Paul Allen's apartment after killing all of those women and like shoving them in bathrooms and closets, the next day he goes there and they're showing the apartment to a family, and there's no damage to it at all. Like the chainsaw damage is gone. The blood is all cleaned up. There's no bodies in any of the rooms and nobody reported it as a crime scene or anything. That isn't just like, that's not, that's not the kind of thing that gets swept under the rug in any city. You know what I mean? Um, so I just, I, I just don't believe that's the part that makes me think that it's all in his imagination. Also, when you see like the diary, I think that he's living his fantasy mm. psychopathy through his diary rather than. I don't know. Okay, how about, spoilers for that movie. I've been, I've been trying to think of one of the ambiguous endings that bothered me. I watched a couple of years back, and I just remembered it. Taxi Driver. Oof, it's been a while since I watched Taxi so, Driver. So Robert but... De Niro is uh, a guy who's basically suffering from insomnia. Decides that he can make it turn it into a a, a profit by becoming a taxi driver. Um, Right, and then he tries to save a prostitute after trying to kill like the president or the mayor or something like that. Correct. Like, I, I know that, but what's the ambiguity at the end of the movie? So he he uh, basically goes through this whole fight scene, tries to save this underage prostitute, kills a guy, and and gets injured, and is like running from the cops at the end of the film. And then the last thing you see is this woman who he had terrorized and forced to go on a date with him, and like. Um, uh, obsessed over is having a date with him at the end of the film he's like a totally like at the end of the film he's like a totally normally adjusted person suddenly and he's back to driving a taxi and they're dating and it's like what the fuck is hmm. this wild twist of an ending that's like a complete 180 from where that. the direction of this film was going like it was going dark 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 and then it was like happy ending and it was like wait what like this character didn't deserve that he didn't just go through an arc like he didn't make redemption that woman hated him the last time we saw yeah. her um Travis Bickle. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one. I can't really opine on that one because it's been so long since I've seen it. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Uh, what else What else is interesting? Thanks, Jeff, for pulling that list. I liked that discussion. Um, one other thing that's interesting that I did want to get your guys' opinion on here. Um, Kurt Russell, being the star of the movie that we talked about today, also is the star of uh, one of the weirdest rumors slash Hollywood legends in that Walt Disney's last words are reported to be Kurt Russell. Just those two words, Kurt Russell, were the the words that the great Walt Disney said um, on his deathbed, um, seemingly saying, like, picking Kurt Russell as the next big thing, which he was correct. Kurt Russell was, like, one of the biggest actors of the 80s, um, if not the biggest actor of the 80s. 
So what I wanted you to you guys to do was to pick one or two up and coming actors that if you were on your deathbed, you would be comfortable saying their names as your last words. Um, and I'm wondering, did either of you do it? Did you come up with some? I mean, uh, I mean the one yes. that comes to mind for me. I don't know mm-hmm. if this is how you'll feel about this, but I mean, Timothy Chalamet it seems to be like the easy answer here. I mean, yes, but also is Timothy Timothy Chalamet like still up and coming? <laughs> He's twenty seven. He's your age, Jeff. Like, I mean, I mean so, so that's fine. You don't have to only pick toddlers. I'm just saying, like you, you know, like up and coming. T- Timothy Chalamet is definitely next up, right? Like he's already being touted as like the next Leo. My moment with him, I've already said this, is in Little Women when he does the moment where he's like proposing marriage to Joe, um, and they have their moment with Shersha Ronan, um, and like I was like, damn, this kid is good, but I almost wonder if he's like too obvious i didn't pick him specifically because i had a feeling that one of you guys would but i think he's not you're not wrong but i think everybody agrees with you i'm wondering if you guys have any like off the uh, like off the charts like wild ones or like new sydney ones. sweeney take it to the bank who 20, is that that's that girl from old. what's it called 24 years old Euphoria. she's been in the white lotus oh yeah that's right. she's been in euphoria yeah. She was in Sharp Objects. Oh, yeah. Handmaid's Tale. And she is a Stena. Okay. So she's got two Emmy nominations for her skills, which is a huge plus. She's a, she's a good actress. Obviously, up and coming successfully. And she's got the looks, too, which is, uh, you know, just a bonus. So, you know, I think she's got a long and fruitful career <laughs> ahead of her. Big Traxel and as well. <laughs> I thought you were gonna. No, when I, you said she's want, got two, I was like, no, "Where are you going with this?" <laughs> look, I don't want her her beauty to take away from her actual success. She's been killing it. She's she's very talented and she's very attractive. That's that's gonna be the last point. I know who you're talking about now. Yeah. Um, and I disagree. Actually, I think that she's not a good actress. I don't. I don't disagree that she's probably going to go far in Hollywood, but I think it's going to be exclusively based on her looks. I've watched like a season and a half of Euphoria and was just like, "What is? Why is this chick getting so much?" Like, I'm so bored by her performance. So I don't. I don't know. I. I'm not as. Uh, I'm not as sure on her career as like a top acting talent. But you might be right. Maybe she will. Maybe she'll like turn in like an incredible performance in something that will change my mind, but not yet. Well, she keeps landing the roles, so she'll keep getting opportunities. Yeah. To her it. next role is in Madam Web, the, the new, the next Sony Spider-Man movie. Everyone thinks that she's black cat and honestly proportionate wise, like she's, she's the way the character is drawn in the comics. So probably a good pick, but um, I don't know. I think that her voice, I find her voice annoying, probably, is the thing. She sounds like she's from the Valley. All right, so who's your suggestion so I can shit all over it? Yeah, my suggestion is Markella Cavanaugh. That's uh, Nori from Rings of Power, the Harfoot girl. I think she's been the character that every time she's on scene on, on screen throughout all of the this first season of Rings of Power, I've been like, man, this... This chick is killing it. I'm really loving the like with her and the other older male ho- hobbit 
or Harfoot character, um, where like every time they were on screen, I was just like, God, I love these characters. Um, and I, I hesitate to call that guy up and coming cause he's like, <laughs> like late fifties probably. But, um, this chick, I think, you know, off of the back of this series has a, a future ahead of her for sure. So did you have any negatives there, Brian? No, uh, she's killing it. That's a good pick. I'll choose to, uh, I'll choose all of the cast of the Percy Jackson films and all of the cast of the upcoming Avatar, the upcoming films or upcoming TV shows and the upcoming Avatar because both of those Wait, shows Wait, Percy are, Jackson films? Sorry, the new Percy Jackson TV show and oh. the new Avatar TV show because they're, they're not going to mess those up. Those are going to be perfect and that's going to launch all those actors into stardom. I actually do have that kid from for Percy Jackson down, Walter Scobel, Walker Scoville. Um, I think that he kind of, he really impressed me in that weird Netflix movie with Ryan Reynolds. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, wow, this kid's really holding his own against Ryan Reynolds right now. Like he's, he's taking, like he's commanding a screen presence against like a very charming and dynamic person in Ryan Reynolds. You know what I mean? That's pretty impressive for like a kid to do. Um, so I actually did put him down. Um, also what in the obvious camp, I had Millie Bobby Brown. I think that she's already like a bona fide star. You know what I mean? Like she was so good coming out of that first season of stranger things that everybody paid attention immediately. And now she's, you know, she's already crushing it. Yeah. She's, she, I've, I've talked about her at length. She's, she's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then I have two that are up and coming that I don't think are these aren't as big as swings. I think that Jonathan Majors, who is cast as Kang the Conqueror already, he's going to be the villain in Creed three um, or the antagonist in Creed three. Sounds like and he's, he's yeah, he's already made it. He's he's all did I say that he's Kang the Conqueror. Yeah. <laughs> OK, um, but when I first saw him in the first two episodes of Lovecraft Country, I was like, this, whoever this guy is, he's, he's next up. Like he's 100% the next big actor. Like I just knew it immediately. Like there's just something about his presence and like his acting talent that I just immediately saw his future just like before my eyes for him. Um, and, uh, so, so I, I mean, apparently Hollywood also saw that in him. Um, and then the other one that's probably less obvious now, or I mean more obvious now, um, Barry C- Kugan or Kogan or whatever, the, the guy Joker. who plays, yeah, he was the Joker in the newest Batman movie. Um, and then he was also, uh, Druid in the Eternals. Um, I've been watching him for years and been, and just been like, when is this guy, like, when is he going to have his breakout? Because I knew that there was something about his performances. And yeah, it looked like last year was pretty, pretty much his year with Druid, the Green Knight, and uh, the joke, uh, the Batman movie where he plays the Joker kind of coming out all at once. But I still think that he's not a household name yet. And I think he's going to be for sure. Um, I'm surprised, Brian, you didn't have more on this because you're kind of the person that I like look to for picking next celebrities. Because I remember you seeing... I think it was Inception and being like that, that guy, Tom Hardy, like that guy's going to be big. And I was just like, really? He's like nothing in this. And then he did like warrior. And then he did like, this is war and like all these other things. And I was genuinely impressed that you picked him out of a hat to be like the next big thing. Yeah. Even a broken clock is right. Once a day, right. Twice a day or whatever. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, 
I'm not great with young actors, to be honest with you. I it's like I got these two weird things. I typically I don't like anime stuff for the most part. I mean, with exceptions, and I don't like stuff led by kids for the most part. Well, they don't have to be kids. I just meant like uh, people who are like you've only seen them in like one or two things, and they're going to be everywhere. Is what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I I uh, I think Tom Hardy was more of a one off and not the the usual for me. He was, he's definitely <laughs> the one that I hang my hat on. And uh, and that's when I retired. Was yeah, one and, you, one and done. you called your career on that one. Yeah, because I, I straight up watched him in that and was like, I can't like get enough of this guy. He's awesome. And then he just exploded. So yeah, it, like right after that, and yeah. everybody loved him after that too. Yeah, yeah. it was interesting to see. I was first, Tom. In case you're listening to this, <laughs> yeah, your first biggest big, fan. You big followed fan, him buddy. on MySpace yeah. <laughs> for those weird pictures. I replicated the underwear pictures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you don't know what those are, Google, Google. Tom Hardy MySpace. <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Uh, we want to move on now and talk about Rings of Power, right? Yep. All right. Who's going first? I'll go first. I'm Head feeling on. very passionate about this. This show's awesome. And I was hanging on every scene, every different storyline. I had no problem with them flipping between even the original Lord of the Rings Every time Frodo and Sam are on screen, I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> More walking. <laughs> and, uh, you know, even with the Harfoots and stuff, I was just locked in about what was going on. The actors were absolutely crushing it. Um, the costume design, the acting, the dialogue, the twists and turns, um, the visual effects, it's very clear that they, one, wanted to do right by the original source material, and two, um, you know, we're, we're willing to spare no expense to just absolutely deliver. Um, and I think it was everything I could have hoped for for first season. So I was I was very, very happy about it. Jeff? Yeah, this movie, uh, this show blew me away. Um, I've been trying to get everyone that I talked to to watch it because I enjoy talking about this show much more than any other show that is currently on television. Um, on top of that, Every single person that I talk to that watches this show with significant others, a lot of times people will tell me things about certain shows like, oh, yeah, like I was into it, but she wasn't, or she was I, she was into it, but I wasn't. I have not heard that from a single person. Every single person's well, like, this show has captivated every single person that's given it a shot, and um, it's been a long time since you know the two of us have wanted to watch that show, is what I hear a lot, or watch the same show. Um and I, and this show I think just somehow hits that perfect combination that has something for everybody. The visuals are literally incredible. Um, the cinematography is mind blowing at times. Uh, the acting is very fun, um, and there's an air of mystery, right? Like there is. Yes, this is a, a telling to somewhat of a known quantity story, but at the same time, um, there are still a lot of things that are up in the air that people are going to theorize over as we get more seasons there's clearly a long way for us to go um if you watch the original trilogy you, you know how this some of these stories wrap up but um i'm so excited to keep watching uh yeah tyler um yeah i yeah this is the show that like i like on fridays i work from home and i just put my phone up on its stand and I just like catch up on the shows from the week that I hadn't watched. So whatever Marvel show 
Star Wars show, whatever is on, you know, I just like, I just press play and I have it playing in the background while I'm doing my, like, while I'm working, right? This show, I refuse to watch on my phone. I literally, like, as soon as I'm done working, I go downstairs, I put it on the big screen TV and I like turn my phone on silent and watch it because I was just like, I don't want distractions. I want to like absorb all of this um, because it was just like, yeah, it just, there's just, there's just too much going on like it's too beautiful for like it's like it's too cinematic for like phone viewing or like casual viewing you know what i mean like i wanted to be in, engrossed in the world like i just i don't know what it is about it that like or about like tolkien's lore or like middle earth or that kind of that world that like it just fully pulls me in no matter what version even like the hobbit movies that i think are terrible like i'm in that world you know what i mean i'm ready to be in that world um and yeah i don't know this movie this show just really hit on all of that points i uh yeah all the storylines were good um there's like some stumbles i feel like throughout here and there but like otherwise like it's it's pretty pretty high up there as far as like television viewing like must watch viewing for me whereas like house of the dragon I was like, I, I don't I missed it for like two weeks at one yep. point and then caught up all in one night and was like, okay, whatever, fine. Um, I have not, yeah, there's been most TV lately that even the stuff that I've really liked, I've been like, it's fine. I'll just catch up when I catch up. Like, I don't care. You know, this is like, I do not want to read a spoiler or like look on Instagram and see someone post like a character death or something like that. I can't like, I, I want to see this all. Like, I don't want this spoiled. So um yeah I, I don't i don't really know what else to say about that did you guys want to talk about any of the specific plot threads in this and have a discussion yeah i mean i think it's worth it to have a spoilers type discussion around this because i think there's a lot of reveals in that last episode um yeah good, good. full spoilers for this and any other tv show or movie <laughs> go ahead um i mean there's like two or three characters that i just want to kind of go character by character and see how everyone felt about them um I mean, I think first and foremost, right at the beginning of the episode, they opened up the final episode with the, I don't know, I rem- I've been referring to them as wraiths, but the wraiths catch up to the stranger and witches. declare him as... No, they're Maya. Mayar. Those women weren't Mayar, were they? That's the assumption I was making. They're very godlike to me. I just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think anyone knows, to be honest, but that was, I think that's the best guess. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Go ahead. And they catch up to the stranger and declare him Sauron, which was a huge way to start that episode. How did you guys feel about that? Uh, I literally turned it to my wife and was like, no way. Like I paused it and looked at her and I was like, you got to be kidding me because we've been speculating for weeks about who he is. And I kept saying like, like he has like rejuvenating powers that like help with the corrupting and, and stuff. And so I was like how can you say that this is Sauron? And she like did like a quick Google and was like, well, he comes in different forms. And there's like this whole thing about his character where, you know, he has like a good form or a light form or something. Maybe this is in, I was just like, I did not see that coming, man. I really thought he was one of the wizards or, you know, some, somebody new. And then, you know, obviously later, you know, you get more clarity, but you know, that definitely was a great way to start the episode. I was absolutely locked in. Most shows, at, at, you know, at some point, I'll, like, pull out my phone. And this one, I was like, get my phone away from me. I'm I'm absolutely glued to the screen at the moment. Yeah, I, um, 
I immediately was like, that's a um, misdirect for sure. I didn't believe it at all. <laughs> I was like, wow. Nope. Uh, that guy, he's, he's too, he matches too much the image of a wizard to be, um, to be Sauron, in my opinion. How can you just make the assumption that those characters were wrong, though? Like, I was looking at it, like, they all seem like they know exactly what's going on. They're not characters that are figuring things out. They're characters that know the answers and are operating with full clarity and, and certainty, they're not like Harfoots that are like, what's going on in the world around me? Or, you know, other people unveiling mysteries. They're walking around knowing what's going on. And so when they said, you're Sauron, I, I feel like as a casual viewer, without any other insight, you have to accept that. So how could you possibly look at that and be like, Mr. Wreck, that's not Sauron. Like, how could, how could you assume that they wouldn't know who they're talking to? I just, I didn't believe it i didn't believe okay so if i was following just the story having no other understanding of middle earth or story structure then um yeah i would i guess i could have followed i could have followed it along but i just didn't like watching it as i did and knowing what i know about tolkien i was just like no that's not he's a wizard it's going to be a misdirect they're going to be wrong so are you going to tell me that you knew who sauron was I, I'm not going to say that I knew who it was. I thought it could be two, one of two characters. I thought it could be Halbrand or it would be Adar. Those are the two that I, I picked as, um, Sauron. So he literally texted me before the episode and said, five bucks says it's Galadriel. Yeah, that's true. But that was also a misdirect. (laughs) (laughs) I misdirected you when I did it, you know, right into a misdirection. From the show. Yeah. So let's talk about Halbrand then. How did you guys feel about his uh, revelation in this final episode? So the big thing for me that uh, made me think that Halbrand couldn't be who he said he was is that I had never heard of a king of the Southlands going into this show. So I was like, that's interesting that they're like creating like a new dominion, right? Like, I'd never heard of a king of this area, right? When I was looking at maps and trying to figure out what the Southland was, what that they meant, right? Because it's not the same Southland as, like, the men of the South from, from like, the Lord of the Rings in the Third Age, right? So it's a different group of men, right, that they were calling the Southlands. And so I was like, I've never heard of a king of this area in this. Like, that's so interesting that they're creating this canon. And then it was when the episode Udun happened and they destroyed that area and made that area Mordor. Then I clicked. I was like, oh, if he's the king of that area, who do we know to be the ruler of that area of Mordor? Sauron. And then that's when I was like, oh, maybe this guy. And I started to think of all of the different things that he had said to Galadriel about, um, about like, you don't know who I am. You don't know what you're talking about and all of these different things. Or I found this on a dead man and I was just sort of like, huh, he's kind of laying out all of the tracks for a he twist. Surprisingly forthcoming. Like all of a sudden you look back and you're like, man, he was kind of telling her the whole time. Like, yeah. As Sauron understand. the deceiver, he's really not been deceiving her and, at all. She just deci- further... she deceived herself and now she's just labeling yeah. him as the deceiver. And even further, there were moments where he was just straight up trying to keep his head down and not get involved. Like I'm kind of confused by his character at the moment. Like I'm intrigued about it, but like he's straight up wanted to stay in Numenor and just be a blacksmith and she could have left well enough alone and I don't know if that was him just trying to find some separation from her so he could go about doing his dastardly shit well I just had this thought right I mean so 
if his plan is to go ahead and distribute people's rings, how better than to present the great king of Numenor whenever he comes along with a ring that would enslave him, right? I mean, Sauron's playing the long game at this point. So he was trying to stay in Numenor just to kind of take over that kingdom? Sure. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I think I he's, anything's on the table. We don't know, but, you know. So I we just, see Sauron in this as like, this is like, he's at, he's at his most broken down after the death of Morgoth, right? He tried to rebuild out in Angabad in the north and failed because Adar and him were up against each other, right? And Adar bested him because he wasn't at his full might. And so we see him broken down and trying to rebuild at this point. And so this is like the formation of the beginnings of what Sauron becomes. Um, so that's what I'm interpreting it as. So we're seeing him at his most broken. I don't know how he ends up on that raft with those people. That part I feel like I need explanation of because it doesn't really make sense with the amount of power that he has. But um yeah, I do, I do think that like it's an interesting concept and I'm I'm willing to go with them. I don't know that I'm necessarily uh not fully sold on this like version of Sauron yet, but I'm open to see where they take it because I like the rest of the show. You I know am, what I mean? So I trust them. I am excited. After watching the first like, you know, as soon as Celebrimbor was was introduced in the in the second episode, um I was captivated because I obviously knew the story of Celebrimbor having been the one who actually forged the rigs. Um, and I was wondering, I was like, okay, well, if the story of the, the way that the story kicks off is that Sauron's already in hated enemy. And I know that Galadriel is one of the, the, the ones who takes one of the rings from him. Like how is Sauron going to get her to take a ring from him? Um, what is that story arc going to be? And I didn't put it together early enough that it was Halbrand until Celebrimbor hits a, 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 a stopping point and then Halbrand just gives just a gentle little suggestion of like, what if we mix this? And I was like, oh, dude, like you're forcing them to forge the rings. I get it now. You're you're Sauron. You're tricking like, them. Doesn't yeah. doesn't make perfect sense in my mind, but like that's what the story is going to be. Like I realized it. I mean, I realized it at the last episode. I'm not, but um, you know, minutes before it happened. You're uh, not me. You're not me and you didn't see it coming all along. I, like I, I am not a liar. That is correct. <laughs> okay. Um, I was fully, but well, as soon as the the people came on screen and say were like, "Hey, you're Sauron," I was like, "Oh fuck, that guy's Sauron!" Like they fooled me. Like I'm kind of like Brian, where if the writer's going to write something literally, I'll take you, I'll take it the word of mouth because that's how narration works. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I do think it's interesting. I'm interested. So Sauron is a shape shifter. Um, so his ability to be a human is fine, right? I'm okay with it. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I We've never seen Sauron, right? Even in like the Silmarillion, like we never interact with him. Um, so who's to say how he would be, right? Personally, I want him to be evil, but at the same time, maybe him being like sort of conflicted is, is the way to go, right? Or like, and maybe he is more evil. Like, I mean, even like the stuff that he's saying, like when he like is sort of proposing to Galadriel, I think it's more about like a desire for power. If he has her by his side, then he's essentially unbeatable. Right. I was looking at Reddit after this series or after the, after I watched the finale and obviously Reddit is full of trolls and monsters. Um, and so everybody was just complaining 
you know, because they know so much about Tolkien and the writers of this show know nothing about it and they're spitting in his face and all that, whatever, right? But people really seem to be upset by two things in this episode. One, um, Halbrand presenting the idea of creating an alloy to Celebrimbor as if Celebrimbor had never heard of such a thing, um, which I don't disagree him being a master smith, but I also think it was their way of creating exposition and looping Sauron into the creation of the rings, right? Like, so more, it's more of a suggestion, right? And you have to bring in that Sauron the Deceiver idea to it. I'm okay with that. The other thing they seem to be upset by was Sauron proposing to Galadriel. Did you guys, were you guys bothered by that at all? Because I, I didn't think that that was a problem. I didn't take I didn't it care. as like a proposal. I took it as like an alliance, like a romantic. power. A, you thought it was romantic? No. I mean, I like they spent so much time together throughout the show. I think I, I wasn't surprised by it. And it makes sense. He wants a badass bee by his side. Like, you know what I mean? Like, why wouldn't he throw that out there to get I think a he's, strong ally? It felt very Darth Vader tempting Luke. Like, join me and we can rule together. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's not yeah. like, I love you. It's more like, we can both be the most powerful people if we do it together. Well, I mean, we know Absolutely. that Luke's into incest, so... I'll say this, that bothered me less. <laughs> the one thing I could I could pick up... Wait, 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 wait. Jeff, are you insinuating that Luke was going to fuck his dad? <laughs> I think you're insinuating that. No, no you uh, said hey, that. Hey, hey, those movies do some sick shit, all right? We watch him, he watch him kiss his sister. We don't know what he's capable of. Okay, so... <laughs> So the, no. the one part, the one part I could pick at is it's what Jeff and I were discussing off pod yesterday a little bit was, man, nobody verifies Halbrand's claim to the throne in the Southlands. They all just straight up accept this dude. And I don't even think he ever outright said, yeah, I'm the king. Like they were just like, hey, hail, hail. And it was like, man, like Sauron was probably sitting there like, man, you guys are just going to hand this to me. This is ridiculous. They <laughs> say, are you the king that was promised? Are you truly the king that was promised? And he says, I am. Yeah, no one's like, <laughs> let's cross-reference that. No, they just straight up get a kneel. Like, they see the symbol that he has. He ha cool. he carries so that thing with the symbol What's on stopping it, right? him from killing the guy who rightfully owned that symbol? Like, He got it off a dead man. He said it. That's what I'm saying is like, there's just zero verification of his claim to the throne. They just straight up are like, great, this is wonderful. You know, in the Sauron yeah. is just like, wow, this is easier than I didn't than I exactly it was have be. social security numbers back then, Brian. I mean, everything was kind of word of mouth. I mean, in, in the Wild West back in the 1900s, at the end Give of the West, you could they murder someone lineages. and then go be a sheriff in the next town over. She straight up yeah. finds that scroll in the most recent episode and verifies that it's not him. In an yeah, but she, city. Remember, she goes to the library and the librarian's like, uh, we don't have a lot on them. On the kings of the Southland. I, I you know? totally understand, but she was able to do it is the point, And they did not make that effort before straight anointing this guy. Yeah. Because she had just... spent so much time with him and he hadn't fucking murdered her. She had no reason to believe that he was his, he was her most hated enemy. Right? Yeah. No, I'm not saying that she could assume that he was Sauron. I'm just saying, why are they just accepting that he's the king without any form of cross-referencing or verification? They have some methods to track that shit. They don't just listen to a random guy saying i'm the king and then everyone's like oh yeah he is like so okay the stranger i want to pivot to the stranger did did they am i wrong when they were like you are a starry and your name is and then he kills them so we were like about to find out which the starry he was is that how that happened or did he say some like, some shit like that were so, we about to get his name and then they they cut him off tyler who do you think it is <laughs> 
Uh, it's, I think it's definitely Gandalf, and I'm Why? I'm bummed about it because it's the follow your nose yep. line is Gandalf is 100% Gandalf. That's that when in doubt, little Hobbit, follow your nose. That's a very famous Gandalf line. So that's I don't, if he if he stole that from one of his wizard bros, then I'll, I'll be upset to find that out. So if it's not Gandalf, that is dumb. Uh, the hobbits or the Harfoots, but you know they're hobbits. Um, makes me think that that's how he builds his affinity for them, right? Because there's it's never explained why he comes to Bilbo, right? Why does he come to Bilbo in the Hobbit and be like, "We need you specifically, you. You're the burglar, right?" There's no explanation for why he would come to the Hobbits, knowing full well that the Hobbits don't like well, to go and on Bilbo adventures. Well, Bilbo knew who he was at the beginning of that book. It wasn't like he was just some random old man that showed up; like he recognized him. And they weren't as close as they were at the beginning of Fellowship, but he knew who Gandalf was. Is that right? I'm pretty I'm not sure. Remembering that, I, I feel like I, all right. Maybe I'm not 100 percent confident, but I feel like that's the impression I got is that they knew each other. I don't remember that. Maybe, maybe he like knew of him by like by uh, reputation or something. Find that but, out via um, quick Google here. I do think that. So I think that they're really establishing Gandalf like the base like the origin story of Gandalf here which I'm okay with because I actually think this actor is doing a good job whoever he is I don't know this actor at all I actually don't know any of the actors on this series uh besides the guy who plays um King Durin um the Scottish dude cuz he was in Westworld um but otherwise I don't really know um any actors in this show and i think that this guy's doing good i actually do think what do you guys think of morfid clark as galadriel a name that i read out to my wife i said morfid clark and she's like oh okay and that's her like what's that character up to and i was like no that's the actress's name (laughs) she thought morfid clark was just the character name from lord of the rings (laughs) because it actually does sound sort of lord of the rings-esque uh what do you guys think of her as galadriel i'm i like her i think she's doing great I think she's good. Yeah, I think she's good. I she has she had some pretty big shoes to fill, but Kate Blanchett doesn't get a lot to do in those original movies. Um, so she kind of gets to do her own thing, which I appreciate. Um, what about uh, the guy playing Elrond, young Ned Stark playing Elrond? I think that he's got a huge role in the coming seasons. If we're going to get multiple seasons, I mean, I so I, I went back and. Uh, watched the first Lord of the Rings uh, two nights ago um, uh, the extended edition on HBO Max and uh, I mean the opening or there's a point where when you first meet Elrond he's like I was there 3,000 years ago I was friends with Isildur and I begged him to cast into the fire and I was like oh we got a long way to go for, for your mm-hmm. character like, I haven't seen Especially you fight since Isildur's dead right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I'll say this I'm, I'm hoping to see him um, have some warrior chops in the next uh-huh. one, he's just walking around as a diplomat talker, and I'm like, the first thing we see of him in Fellowship is him leading a straight up banger battle against Sauron. So I'm like, you know, we're gonna have to see him do some combat at some point. All we really see is him swinging a hammer for a while. Um, backing up real quick, uh, Bilbo. It was more than he knew of Gandalf. Gandalf. Um, okay, had, so had by known, reputation. Yeah, Gandalf had a connection to the Shire from from before Bilbo's youth and, and, you know, I guess he was just well known to the community and it's implied that Gandalf has uh, had his eye on Bilbo since he was a, a young kid. So there's some connection there, although, so it wasn't like he was a complete stranger showing up at Bilbo's door in the I hobby. See. I see. 
Um, okay. Was there, are there any other characters that either uh, of you guys wanted to touch base on? Real quick, I think the stranger is Saruman and not Gandalf. Still. The reason, reason being, I understand the Hobbit connection. I think the nose quote is, is intriguing. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I could easily see it that Saruman has some kind of past connection with them as well. And that the nose quote Gandalf got was from his mentor and friend Saruman, who said it first. You know what I mean? Or something like yeah. that. I, I could easily see that being explained away. And there's further evidence that it's Saruman when they're doing that. He's talking to the Harfoot girl about translation of the, that word. And he says it translates to wise or wizard. And I thought, I think I'm pretty sure wise is the nickname of Saruman. Saruman wise, wise man. He says wise so, man or wizard. Yeah, and his nickname is Saruman the Wise. And sure. I thought and, and the other thing is he when we first meet him in the original trilogy is the most powerful of wizards, the head of wizards. So isn't it fair to say that he might be the first of wizards as well? Where he shows well, up, kind of establishes because, the order and then mentors Gandalf? Just because we see Gandalf in this doesn't mean that Saruman hasn't already landed elsewhere. Right, I think the next season we're gonna see them go to Rune, which is in the east, and they're going. It's gonna be like a council of wizards. Sure, I think because we've also never seen Rune, so yeah. this is actually kind of exciting to see. Um, we like we just know that there yeah. are lands in the east that the Istari went to. The two blue wizards that I always talk about, that I was hoping we're, we were gonna get in this, they are in they go to rune to kind of help settle the orcs have already invaded rune at the end of the second age. And so they go to help the men there and bring and like bring them to the good side. And then we never hear from them again at the end of the second age. Um, so I I think we're going to go there and see the wizards. And he, he just bears a somewhat like passing resemblance to, uh, Christopher Christopher Lee Lee. kind of, you know, his nose especially, but anyway, um, yeah, I'm 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 banking on it being Saruman. I, I think that it you know, he's like I don't think it's that far fetched that Gandalf would, you know But I think we see get, get Saruman connected as, to the Hobbits because of him and get that quote from his mentor, you know. I, I think know. we see Saruman as like sort of this smug, like already like established person. And I just I have a hard time seeing a characterization characterization of this character moving from where he's at, where he's very close to Gandalf already into that like smug all-knowing wise yeah, man but, but here's uh, the thing we've we have seen him have moments of like no control he have moments of maybe some kind of tie to the darkness like i could see this character at some point evolving into something that is manipulatable because it seems like he's got some kind of edge to him he's not like some pure wizard that very clearly is not corruptible or something like it seems sure, I mean, like he's so, kind of treading the fine line between good and evil the wizards are Istari, but they're Maiar, so they're actually at the same level as Sauron, right? Like Sauron is also in that, you know, re- like level of power, right? So they're like he is still capable of great darkness, but he has to choose good, right? And like th- th- there's an option at there for them, right? And Saruman eventually is tempted over to the dark side. I don't know. I think that. Gandalf shows his like his tendencies towards dark as well. I think from sorry, did I say Gandalf or sorry? Anyway, whatever. I think but, while this is a good episode and we'll have to pick this up next season, we are running long. Um, yeah, 
let's go ahead and jump into what's clever. Cool. Um, I just got two. Uh, I watched the documentary The Sound of 007 on Amazon Prime. It basically goes through all the different James Bond songs and the creation of the that that very recognizable score. Um, and it's got sit downs with like Jack White and uh, Billie Eilish and Sam Smith and like all the different people who have created uh, different James Bond songs and kind of their process for doing so. And it was very, very good. I liked it a lot. Um, and then I watched uh, the horror movie from earlier this year called X, which is about a 1970s like low budget porn crew who go and rent out this barn. And then it's like a slasher film. Um, and it was OK. I, I liked it enough. I probably won't ever watch it again, but I didn't hate watching it. And that's it. Brian. Brian. Yeah, uh, The Watcher on Netflix. If you like anything that's somewhat scary, go watch it, man. I I was shitting my pants uh, watching the first two episodes. And I got to say, um, I don't get scared by scary movies very often or scary shows. It's on. Uh, it's a TV series on Netflix, sorry. And uh, it's, it's just like the right amount of tension that just permeates through every scene. You just feel that... this like, go sorry. Ahead. No, you go. Uh, for some context about the show, um, a family moves into a new house and the neighbors, there's like strange things that the neighbors have going on. They have strange mannerisms and, and you know, some of them are, are, are just downright scary. They're, they're, you know, they keep saying things like I'll be watching you or I'm watching you. And like, they just scary things happen to them almost right off the bat when they move into the house. And it's like the show follows mainly the father trying to figure out how to make his family feel safe and how to make their dream home, something that they can be comfortable in. And all these things going on are just making it very difficult on him. So he starts trying to like figure out the mystery of what's happening and what the deal is with this house. And it's, I got to say finishing an episode last night and then our wind chimes, we hang wind chimes out front and it was really windy last night. So I went out to take them down so they wouldn't keep the neighbors awake. And it's like dark out there and I just finished an episode and everything's moving around me because the wind's blowing. And I'm like <laughs> looking around shit in my pants. Cause I was like, I swear there's a watcher in the bushes, man. But um, the scariest part of it is it's based on a real story. And if you Google, you know, the real story behind it. There are some, some, some of the stuff that's real that actually happened and is not the dramatized part of the show is some of the scariest shit in the show. So it, it just, it adds like a level of depth to it that you're like, this actually happened to somebody. This is terrifying, but I'm uh, definitely it's, it's really, check this out. yeah, really well made, but I, I definitely would recommend watching it during the day. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jeff. Um, yeah, I, I don't, like watching things that make me depressed, like documentaries or horror films. So I watched. Uh, I just only watched the saddest movies ever made over and over and over again. I, I do enjoy sad films. Uh, okay, but that those don't make you depressed. I don't documentaries watch them very frequently. do. I don't watch them very frequently. Dude, documentaries around our modern day like socioeconomic climate are not positive. <laughs> sure, I talked about the songs of James Bond. Does that make you depressed? That's fair. No, it's fair. <laughs> so I watched a uh, rom com on. Um, hulu called rosalind uh oh was this good i, I really want to watch it it's entertaining cool. so the story is that uh if you're familiar with the story of romeo and juliet romeo starts the play by being obsessed with a different character before meeting juliet and falling in love with her instead oh yeah he's almost suicidal over this other chick and then he meets juliet 
And so this is the story of her. This is that girl who essentially feels like she's been abandoned by Romeo, tries to break up Romeo and Juliet. Um, and uh, it's very intense. It's it's um, Caitlin Dever. Uh, yeah, Dever. Caitlin Dever. 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 Something like that. Um, is, is the protagonist, and then uh, the there's also a love interest, which is he's uh, um, uh, the guy from the the. Um, Marvel TV show The Gifted. He's uh, he plays. No, I haven't watched that. Uh, the protagonist right. from that. Anyway, um, so that was I, I really enjoyed that. There's some pretty fun. Like they take a lot of, of inspiration from Bridgerton as far as using like updated modern music. There's points where characters do speak in like Shakespearean prose, but there's also a ton of like Gen Z Gen Z humor. Specifically, there's a character that plays a message delivery boy who is just a total like lazy fuck boy um so he's like just like hey did you deliver that message and he's like uh yeah dude i delivered the shit out of that message (laughs) it's just like what the fuck um i've always thought that this story needed to be told i'm in so i'm i'm like hesitantly excited to watch this i didn't even know this movie this movie is not on my radar at all until it like came out and i was like oh shit what but I've always found that part of Romeo and Juliet so funny. Like just that Romeo is like at the very, that when we're first introduced to him, he's contemplating throwing himself into the ocean because he's so depressed that he can't be with Rosalind. And then like, he doesn't want to go to this party. And then he goes to the party hoping to see Rosalind and instead sees Juliet. And is like, Oh, never mind. I'll kill myself over this chick. You know, it's just such a, it's just such a commentary on like teenage angst and yeah. love and like that feeling. And like, I've always been like, what's up with Rosalind though? Like, do we, we never even get to meet her. Like, what's her story? Like imagine her like hearing that Romeo killed him. Like, she's like, wait, what? I was supposed to go on a date with this dude. And he was like, known my cousin for a week and they killed each other, killed themselves over each other. What the fuck is this? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm very interested to see, uh, this story it's good cool um other than that um got some animes to look forward to in the coming weeks as far as my heroes finally back on um and chainsaw man i know tyler's read that manga and is looking forward to that one as well uh and bleach bleach is also coming back for its final arc supposedly so super excited for those three as the english dub starts to roll out in the coming weeks that's it all right well thanks everybody for listening did you like the thing uh oh who's up for next week jeff what are we watching next week next week we are going to watch a horror movie that i was recommended i don't even know what it's really about it's called the descent oh okay i've seen this it's it's supposed i mean it's considered very very good um so that's all i'll leave you guys with um cool well next week the descent with jeff and uh See you guys then. Thanks. Bye, guys. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Clever Kids Podcast. If you want more from us, be sure to follow us on social media. We're at Clever Kids Pod everywhere. Or you can get in touch with us at cleverkidspodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Be sure to rate us on whatever app you're listening on and recommend us to a friend. We really appreciate it. Or don't. Whatever's clever. 